following podcast is brought to you by Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Disclaimer, this podcast is about to spoil several movies from 6 to 20 years old. Lou, read off the list. Today, Robots vs. Dinosaurs will be spoiling for you, the listener. Tsunami Sunrise, Jack and the Bainstocks, Harriet the Spy, No Country for Old Men, Swingers, Jaws, Last Action Hero, Inspector Gadget, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and King Lear, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Hello and welcome to Robots vs. Dinosaurs, the podcast where we watch a movie and then try to determine which one is cooler. Robots, dinosaurs, or a uh, biological preserve where prehistoric animals are allowed to roam and breed freely. Um, my name is Luigi, and I'm your host. Uh, and that's not what I usually say. I'm your host, Luigi, and with me, as always, is my co-host, uh, the person who chose the movie that we're going to be talking about today. So, today... That co-host is uh, returning champ James Reese. Welcome back to the sh- welcome back to the show, James. Oh, thank you for having me back, um, James. Why don't you tell the listeners what movie it is we're going to be discussing today? So we were talking about this a while ago because my first time on the show we talked about the wonderfully kooky Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, mm. and so I asked you, "Hey, do you want to do Dominion?" He's like, "Oh, someone's got Dominion booked," and then we were like, "Well, what about the Lost World?" And I was excited because I know like the last couple of times I've been on, we've kind of like kind of goofed a bit on the movies we we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I genuinely like this movie. I always have. This is one of those movies that I feel is gets unfair love. In fact, one of the uh, unfair hate rather. Like one of the first notes I have is fuck the haters. This movie rocks. This movie um, does yeah. rule. You're right. This movie's I really great. This movie. Yeah. I I think when I when I was a kid, Jurassic Park was the best movie I'd ever seen. It still is to this day. Um, so I couldn't have been more excited for a sequel. And I think all of my criticism of this movie comes from just being disappointed that it was like it wasn't the first movie. Um, yeah. But in the absence of the first movie, like if you just if you just isolate this movie on its own, if it, like if you could watch this movie without knowing that any other Jurassic Park movie exists, it's a perfect movie. There's not like it's. I'm well. Okay, that's uh, that's going say, a little far. Perfect, but it's, um, it is good. It's okay. It's no. a perfectly watchable movie. It's, I will. I will agree with that. <laughs> it is definitely perfectly watchable. Like some, I'll be honest. Sometimes for this podcast, I because I'm taking notes when I'm watching the movie. Like I'll watch maybe like half of it. Um, Because I'm pausing and writing stuff down, and it takes me longer to watch the whole movie. Um, And sometimes, like because of that, I'll break it up across a couple of days. Like I'll you know watch half of it now, and then later on when I have the energy again, I'll watch it. I'll watch it the the second half of it. But this was one of those movies where I'm like, I just I I've seen this movie a a bunch of times, but I just got to see what happens next. Totally, it's one of those things. Like I was thinking about this as I was watching this. This movie came out when I was. It was kind of 97, so I was eight. And mm. I think this was the first major sequel of my lifetime. I think like, this is uh. the first time, like a movie that, like a sequel to a movie that came out in my lifetime, which everyone was like, oh my God, we're getting a second one of these. Because I, I wasn't born when Empire Strikes Back uh, came out yet. So, like, or this was like the first big sequel. And as such, I think it was the first sequel. I remember getting a lot of backlash when it came out. I was like, well, this movie sucks. And this movie's nowhere near as good as the first, which isn't entirely untrue. Mm-hmm. But I remember even like 
I think we all have those movies that we rewatch that we really enjoyed when we were eight or nine years old that we rewatch years later. Then this wasn't quite as good as I remember. I, this movie isn't that for me. I always thought this was really enjoyable. I think it, it moves in a creatively different direction than the first one. And yeah. I, I, I think one of the things I just really have always loved about this movie is that it follows the sequel template perfectly in that bigger is better. So mm-hmm. more dinosaurs, more action set pieces, more higher body count, more gore. Like it really does do its best to take everything to the next level Whether it succeeds in that. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's, it's hit and miss, but in ter- if you want a Jurassic Park sequel, you want more dinosaurs, and this movie delivers on that. There are so many dinosaurs in this at all times. There's nary a scene without a dinosaur. That's <laughs> absolutely true. And it, what I what was remarkable to me is that, like you said, it's a perfect sequel. It it expands on everything that the first one built. Um, it does add more things, but it doesn't it doesn't completely try to change the game. Like, uh, yes, there are more dinosaurs, but really, if you clock it, there's like. There's one new carnivore, and it's they actually went smaller. It's the compies, right? Um, and the re- and we do see a bunch of new dinosaurs, but they're all herbivores. Yeah. Uh, but also, they get more to do than they did in the first movie, and they're more like more of a threat, which is cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just it is cool seeing these new dinosaurs, but also the way that they expand on. Uh, T Rex and and especially the Velociraptors. The Velociraptors oh, are so very cool in the first movie, yeah. But they the scene with them in this movie is so well done. Yeah, it's so exciting. Uh, it's it's like a horror movie when they're going through the tall grass. It is so beautiful. It's just pure Spielberg. It's him like just like the scene where they're going through the grass and you see the trails and you see the one by one get sucked under. Mm-hmm. And then that great shot where you see him like jump out in the in the spotlight, so the spotlight just like like flashes on his face like ET. Mm-hmm. It was great. It, like I, the set pieces in this movie, I really really enjoy just because it doesn't stop. Like it, like also one thing I was thinking about. Um, I'm sorry for jumping ahead, but I remember seeing the trailers when I was a kid and seeing, watching them a bunch of times on TV and saw them in the theaters. I don't think. I couldn't verify this. I don't think at any point during the advertising for this movie, they revealed that a T-Rex was going to run loose in San Diego. That was just such a pleasant surprise when you turn on this movie. When, like when you get like at the end of the Raptor scene, you're like, all right, this movie's over. There's nowhere mm-hmm. else for it to go. Like, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to have a T-Rex <laughs> running through the streets of San Diego. Mm-hmm. Which is like at that point, like not to poop on the sequels that come after this, but where do you go from there? And even I think that's why these sequels get more and more ridiculous is how do you top a T-Rex running loose in the streets of San Diego? I think you're right that the none of the marketing material showed that, which was a very, very smart decision. Yeah. Um, and that's another kind of classic Spielberg thing where like the movie has like multiple endings yeah. consecutively. Um, and the, yeah, the, it was a great reveal. Uh I did go see the new Jurassic World Dominion this weekend. What do you think? And I will so so the idea of dinosaurs running free in the world and that being the premise and that being the problem, like we like the last twenty minutes of this movie, The Lost World, right. uh, with just the just one T Rex running around San Diego and all the devastation that causes. So the premise of that being an entire movie where. Okay, now, you know, we've seen Jurassic World 5. Uh, all the dinosaurs were let loose. Now they're just out in the world. That sets up 6. Um, 
it didn't quite deliver on that promise. It does for maybe half of the movie. Oh. And I'm trying not to spoil anything, but that I wish that more of the movie was that premise. Uh, um, I was because it's the when movie was that premise. It's when it's the most fun. And yeah, yeah and I will say this, uh, not to not to put too much on Jurassic World Dominion because we are going to be reviewing that on the podcast in a couple days, um, but it makes it makes this movie look like a masterpiece. <laughs> oh dear! Okay. So All right. I think my, my you and I are both on a, in agreement that yeah. the Lost World Jurassic Park Two gets too much hate, um, and that it's actually not that bad, but. If we're if we're just comparing all of the Jurassic sequels against yeah. each other, uh, this is one of the better ones. <laughs> I genuinely believe this is the best of the sequels. I really do. I think it's yeah. really, like it, it. It. I think it's, and I also think it's a big reason is because Steven Spielberg directed it. Like even like that no, puts a lot of weight behind it. Yeah, totally. Like like no hate on Joe Johnson, who's a great director in his own right. Same with Colin Trevorrow and Jay Bayona, who are also very good directors. But Spielberg just understands how to make these movies so I, even when i was watching it i was just like oh my god the, the like the shot composition is so good mm-hmm. and just like the classic spielberg wonder and the way like one of the things that i i wrote down is best cast ever yeah because one, one of the reasons i think we talked about this when we're talking about fallen kingdom is one of the reasons that i think the original movies surpass the new ones is because they understand the dinosaurs are the star so rather than casting A-list actors like Chris Pratt or Bryce Dallas Howard, you cast like these indie darlings, these like master character actors like Sam Neill, Jeff Goldblum, Laura Dern. Mm-hmm. And this one, they just cast like the best character actors working in that time, still still working the day. You got Julianne Moore, you got Richard Schiff, you got Pete Postlethwaite, and every movie Oof, just yeah. needs more Pete Postlethwaite. And another actor who I, I could, I can't, I know I've seen him before. I'm looking up now. All I, I kept running down my notes is not Bob Balaban. He plays Bob like, Balaban. yeah, he plays like the smarmy, like the, I think Hammond's nephew, like the smarmy guy. Like oh, Arliss Howard. Arliss Howard, because he looks like Bob Balaban, but is not. So I just kept running not Bob Balaban in my notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's great. Like, and also, like, it's just a really, really great cast. Yeah, and, he is a really good villain too. Ludlow, um, yeah. Hammond's nephew. Um, just... It, it is a great cast. It is, uh, like you said, yeah. The, the, like there, people look like as much as they look like you know archaeologists and paleontologists yeah. and big game hunters. They also look like regular people in a way. Yeah. Like they are relatable in some way, um, and it it definitely yeah it adds to the immersion of the film because the new ones you feel like you're watching movie stars on a movie set totally. doing movie things. Yeah. Uh, whereas this doesn't, it's not exactly feels like a documentary, but it, <laughs> uh, <laughs> to that point, because, uh, this was shot by Janusz Kaminski, who, mm-hmm. um, Spielberg had just worked on with, uh, Schindler's List. In fact, this is the movie, this was his follow up to Schindler's List. He did, he like sandwiched Schindler's List in between Jurassic Park movies, but because of Janusz Kaminski, there are some shots where they kind of like, I feel like they utilize the handheld camera movements. They, they, and mm-hmm. camera styles. So like the scene where they're freeing the dinosaurs from captivity in um, on, on the campsite and the way they had like the shaky cam, like following them from crate to crate. Oh, that was really cool. Yeah. So they re- it, it, it is, they really do a good job at up in the ante and also just, but still taking the movie cinematically seriously. 
Mm. And, they, and I feel like Spielberg just, just does, a, and Janusz Kaminski and everyone involved does a great job of just framing everything correctly. The only thing, and I don't know how you felt about this, and I couldn't figure out why the problem, what, what the issue was. Every now and then, I felt like the animatronics looked like animatronics, and I don't know why. <clears throat> yes, especially like the baby Stegosaurus. Yeah. Uh, and a couple times when the when the raptors are attacking, um, uh, especially the one that's attacking Jeff Goldblum through the car window, and it's yeah. like using its nose to like dig through the the glass window. Yeah, and like also um, the, yeah. Big, the big ones for me were when the T Rex was eating um, the baby T Rex was eating uh, its prey, mm-hmm. and it just looked like a puppet, just going looked like a marionette. But also the compies when they were attacking Peter Stormare. Like, it was yeah. a great scene. It's also perhaps one of two, I think it's number two of the most gruesome deaths in the Jurassic Park series. And I think number mm-hmm. one is also in this movie. Mm-hmm. But the scene where Peter Stormare is just, like, rolling back and forth with, like, these toy dinosaurs <laughs> on his back. It was like, okay, this looked a little bit better when I was nine years old. So are you are you're, you're saying that's a negative for the movie, not a positive? He doesn't know because like here's like right before this like I think like a lot of us in prep for Dominion rewatched the first Jurassic Park because whenever mm-hmm. you have an opportunity to rewatch Jurassic Park you take it. Yeah, I went to and, the double feature because uh, they're playing in the theater. <laughs> it was a good idea. That was a very good yeah. idea. But it's one of those things where whenever I watch a movie, I just keep thinking, like, "Wow, this movie holds up." Like at no point am I thinking that's a robot or that's early CGI. I think that's a dinosaur. And I couldn't figure out whether it's the uh, the way they edited it this time around, like maybe they just held a little too long on some of these animatronics, thinking like, oh, we can get away with it. Where they, where in the first Jurassic Park, they kept shots kind of like not short, but they knew exactly when to cut, when just when this, the disbelief would kick in, so they knew mm-hmm. exactly how to edit it. And I also think like there were <sighs> the T Rexes in this movie are great, but every now and then, like there were a lot of floating T Rex heads, and maybe I just know too much now. All I kept thinking is that's a T Rex head on a gimbal when mm-hmm. it's like getting on when it's like getting in the tent and stuff like that. It was like, all right, that's not a dinosaur. That's a T Rex head on a gimbal. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why it's just like my cynical adult brain creeping in. It's like this isn't real, or I was just like, I don't know. I, I, like the, when when you see the T Rex attack Lex and Tim in the first one, I, I'm always like, that is a T Rex. Every now and then, I didn't feel that way watching this. Though that being said, the camper scene, the camper attack, is mm-hmm. fucking great. Yeah, that is a great scene. That's a great set piece. And the fact that half the set piece doesn't have anything to do with the dinosaurs. It's just like a perilous moment where they're just trying to get out of a camper that's apparently made of TNT. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but also when it falls, somehow physically falls like a perfect tube around them. Oh, that was great. It doesn't bounce around or anything. It It is great. It doesn't knock anyone's head off. Yeah, it's one of the, it is one of the greatest action set pieces. It really makes it feel. It's like you said, like the danger is not just the dinosaurs. It really makes it feel like an adventure food film. Definitely, and and also that leads to what I truly believe. I remember like just being gobsmacked when I saw this at when I, at a young age. Eddie's death is so fucking brutal. Yeah, like it might be beat by that poor assistant who gets drowned and eaten alive in Jurassic World. But Zara. Yep, I was gonna Zara. say yeah, the, a strong comparison between the two. Yeah. Because they're both such good people who just meet meet such brutal ends, and I think that's a good thing. Because but because good people get killed by dinosaurs in this movie, where in Jurassic Park it was like a couple of good guys, but mostly bad guys. Mm-hmm. But also the body count is so much higher in this movie. Like if you if you want to see more people getting eaten by dinosaurs, you are in luck. Yeah, because 
I guess think that, I was checking. I think the body count number one is surprisingly only four, maybe five confirmed uh, deaths. Yeah, confirmed deaths. Yeah, yeah. Um, where in this one, I think the body count was like twenty six, not I, counting the boat crew. I was trying to count just during the Velociraptor scene. I'm like, how many yeah. guys are there, and how many of them get picked off? And I got to like eight before uh, the scene changes, and you're just focusing on Malcolm and. Yeah. Uh, Sarah and and um, uh, Kelly yeah. uh, and like so I only got to eight but like yeah it's it but before that we're seeing dudes get eaten by Rexes or stepped on by Rexes that was such a great death <laughs> like, that, like it's kind of thing where like this was this to date is Spielberg's only non Indiana Jones sequel and one of the like Temple of Doom has always grown to me as I got older as he like. You, he really upped the ante in terms of what he thought he could get away with mm. um, in terms of uh, gore and fear and scariness. And, but in such a gleeful way. And I feel like the, guy, the poor guy getting stuck to the bottom of the T-Rex's foot was just, <laughs> oh, that was just great. That was really, really, a really fun touch. Like, yeah. there, there, there's so, like I think the, this, this definitely has the feeling of being made by a gleeful kid with his toys. So I was surprised when I read, um, well, maybe not so so surprised since you saw where Spielberg's career diverted after this movie. But apparently, he was not very happy making this movie. Apparently, he was he was he said like he just became disenchanted during the filmmaking process, and he thought it showed in the final edit. But granted, like this is four years removed after making the most personal film of your career, and you have so much so they have to take like a four year hiatus to just recover from that. Mm -hmm. I really like I I remember. So he was Sid, Sid Scheinberg, the um, head of Universal, Universal Studios, said, "You can make Schindler's List, but you have to make Jurassic Park first because if you make Schindler's List first, there's no way you're going to be able to make Jurassic Park." Mm. I think in a way it shows in this movie because it's a it's a lot bleaker, it's a lot more dour, um, it's a lot. There's, the, the wonder is gone, and understandably so because now dinosaurs exist. Like we're, like there's only so much wonder you can mine from something you now accept exists mm-hmm. but it is such a dark dour movie which i think works for it but in comparison to like the jauntiness and like wonder and glee in the first one that's like kind of peppered all throughout the scary bits mm-hmm. this is just like pure i feel like lost world is just like a pure horror movie yeah horror is a great word there there's a few scenes that just like the genre just shifts in the middle of the movie yeah. Um, and it becomes a horror a horror film, like the one you mentioned with Pete Possibly. No, it's not Pete Possibly. It's uh, D- Dieter, I think is the character's name. Dieter oh, Peter yeah, Stormare. Yeah. Um, when he's running away from the copies, and there's like a few more, and then a few more, and the way that they're like following him and mocking him, awesome. um, and he keeps getting more and more lost in the jungle. Like the way that that slowly builds is is so terrifying and. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's isolated and it just like just keeps giving you this sense of of this danger building um it's actually i uh yeah it's 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 one of my favorite scenes in the movie along with um one of the silliest scenes in the movie but also like when they do this horror movie genre shift uh when they're getting surrounded by the raptors in that yeah. house and they're trying to like dig through yeah. Um, suddenly it becomes like a monster in the house movie. Like yeah. these creatures are trying to get in and they have sharp claws and teeth. And like, we already know what's going to happen if they break through. Um, and there's, 
I mean, if you if you really were to pull the camera back, there are a lot of other ways that those raptors could have easily gotten into that building. <laughs> yeah, especially if they're smart enough to open doors, they probably could have figured it out a little bit sooner. But yeah, uh, disbelief and, aside, and the way that it resolves with the whole gymnastics flip um, yeah. that's perfectly timed and angled and everything, it's. I'm utterly ridiculous. That, yeah, that's the one concession I'll make when people say this movie sucks. Had, like she defeats raptors using gymnastics. Like, <laughs> okay, yeah, you got me there. All right, it's utterly ridiculous, but it's so ridiculous that it like it breaks the tension of the yes. moment because it's so it is so tense and they build the tension so well that something that hilarious and over the top. Uh, I don't know for the type of movie that it is for for the fact that it's still PG thirteen. That's a it's a yeah it's stupid. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to defend it too hard, but it is a, <laughs> it is like a, the right resolution, I guess. Uh, I guess it's the only resolution. How else are, are they going to get out of that situation? I guess it, it's and, the one we yeah. got. It's the it's the got. resolution we got. <laughs> yeah. And also, like it's I feel like that's almost sets you up for like all right if you if you're not on board with this, you're not being bored with the next twenty minutes. So. <laughs> Like I, I did, I don't mind it so much, but it is very, it is very a very silly moment. Yeah, but there's also one thing that, first of all, I, I think the evolution of Jeff Goldblum's character as Ian Malcolm in this is great. I thought the mm. idea of making like essentially having a man dealing with PTSD, having to confront his fears, like Ripley and Aliens style, mm-hmm. I thought that was a really smart choice. I don't know if it was Michael Crichton who decided that or whether it's the, the writers, but I thought developing Malcolm from being the smart Alec into this like traumatized man who's forced to go back and face his horrors. I think that was a great call. Yeah. I was thinking about this uh, yesterday. I was watching it. And so the actress who plays uh, his daughter is, I didn't take it down her name. What, what, uh, what? Kelly. You're talking about Kelly. Yeah. Kelly. Um, uh, Vanessa, Vanessa Chester. Chester. Yeah. And she, and she was, um, I remember seeing her as a kid in the little princess and she was very good in that, mm-hmm. but she's Inherited a black actress. Spy. Yeah. Oh yeah. She was in the spy. Um, so she's a black actress, and um, Jeff Goldblum's obviously not. And at no point do they explain it because they don't feel it's necessary. And I thought, wow, that's really progressive for 1997. Because I feel like most movies, like movie execs, say like, "Ooh, we have to find some sort of explanation." Couldn't you say like, "Ooh, when your mother and I adopted," but like, no, they never say whether or not she's adopted. They never say whether or not he, he's her biological daughter. It was like, "This is his daughter. Accept it." And they make a like a little, like little joke about it where. Nick says to um, Eddie, Eddie, like, do you see any family resemblance here? Like that was the, clo- that was it. And then they just moved on the rest of it. I thought that was really oddly progressive for a movie at this time. It was, I was going to say there is that one moment where they, they have to comment on it for yeah. some reason um, that, you know, maybe they could have done better there, but it's yeah. not egregious. And it's um, yeah, it is, it is surprisingly progressive for 1997. Yeah. Yeah, especially considering, like, you know, where we still live in an era where people get upset when they see, like, a same-sex couple in a JCPenney commercial. <laughs> or a Buzz Lightyear movie, apparently. Or a Buzz Lightyear, yeah. So, mm. yeah. Um, but in I, 1997, it was it was a simpler time. It was. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, this is, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, they... Um, Another thing that this movie like gets right that that the later sequels I think don't quite get because again they're not Steven Spielberg anymore mm-hmm. is is restraint like the dinosaurs they are the star but 
Spielberg has always been good at taking big budget special effects and either keeping them in the background or making them only the big scary thing that our heroes are running away from. So he's, he limits how much you see them and what you see of them. And often it's like achieving this horror movie effect of like, you know, you just see the shark's fin and you have to imagine yeah. the horror of what the rest of it looks like or the fact that you don't see it means you can't see where it is, but you know it's hunting you. Um, and, and they do that really well with all of the dinosaurs in the film. And when they do show them to you, it feels like a big payoff. It feels like they, they've been teasing this and now they're paying it off. Um, yeah. Whereas in the later films, like, I feel like they try to do that. They try a couple of those tricks, but it doesn't seem to work the same way. And I'm not sure why, but it I just, think the, I think, the, I think another reason why, and I think it's kind of a cynical reason, but it's, I think it's a true reason. Um, so by I was thinking about this by 1997, the, like the the CGI special effects door being kicked open. So when you look at like the big special effects extravaganzas that came out that year, and you got this, but you also got Titanic, and you got the mm. Element, and you got Men in Black. So special effects were always were like away and running, and that, that was back when I feel like special effects sold a movie. I think now special special effects don't really sell a movie because there's nothing you can show us that will surprise us anymore. Like right now, like that's mm-hmm. why Tom, that's why Tom Cruise has to learn to fly a jet fighter for us to <laughs> like be invested in movies anymore. Because like now, well now we watch like Jurassic world, like as, as good as it is, as fun as it is, we just think those are cartoon dinosaurs. That was like, yeah, a couple of robots in there, but that's, that's a cartoon. Um, whereas when Jurassic park came out, I was like, how do they do that? And I feel like there was, you're still able to ride this wave with this movie but like we're discussing earlier the cracks show a little bit just because they get a little i think they got a little cocky with how believable they can make everything so so you can sort of see like there's more i think it was more noticeable with the animatronics than with uh, the cgi like the scene where um i can't the the friar tuck the um pachycephalosaurus, pachycephalosaurus thank you gets uh trapped in that big vice thing yeah that was a really i remember like wrote down like is that cgi or is that um, of animatronic because i generally couldn't tell i think that was mm. like that showed where this movie's like has kind of because when i read reviews a lot of the, a lot of them say basically like the special effects are better but the movie is not and i don't think that's entirely true but every now and then you see little moments like that like oh yeah that was a step up because i couldn't i could not tell that that was a I, I couldn't tell what that was. And, and that, also yeah. that whole scene was just a lot of fun, too, because you got to see all these new dinosaurs all at once and, uh, mm-hmm. and with all these these great new toys that you wanted to buy Toys R Us the next day <laughs> with, like, these new RVs and new characters and new guns. Like, I think I had a Roland Tembo action figure as a kid, and I generally think he is the most compelling new character in this movie. Not, not least of which because he's played by Pete Postlethwaite, who's one of the best actors of all time. But he's just such a good character. In fact, I was um, this thing about this. Do you ever see any of the deleted scenes in this movie? Yes, I have. Yeah. So you've seen the scene with him in Mozambique, where also we finally get we get to really learn about him and AJ's relationship and why he's so like heartbroken when AJ snuffs it. But you see him like at this, um, just kind of like drinking alone at this like this bar in Mozambique, mm-hmm. and he and he just. And but also that's when he, he's such a great complex character because he's like a hunter and he's the antagonist, but he's not really a villain per se. He's not a bad guy. Like he's a good guy. He's just on the other side. He just and I think that was such an interesting choice. And you, the way you see him interact with our heroes, like with Julianne Moore, and he's, and he's like, "Are you okay? Are you okay? Can you keep going?" Like and then when um, 
also when he with the, when one of the party goes missing and he just says don't tell the girl don't tell the girl like he's like yeah he's protective and you kind of see that in that, in that deleted scene which i understand why they cut it because they kind of they establish these points later on in the movie and if you're if you you want to get to the dinosaurs you don't need to see this bar fight in mozambique where he just out of boredom ties his hand behind his back to fight a man who's accosting a waitress mm-hmm. just so he has something to do and, and that's what that's what gives me like so you just broke a man's jaw with one hand back. like what'd you get from that no you have a chance to hunt the greatest predator who ever lived and just see that little like ahab glint in his eye and that was so clever and just i, I honestly wish we had more of him in this movie again not least of which because all movies need more peace possible to wait but because i feel like he was the most compelling character in all this aside from aside from ian malcolm uh, I totally agree. He's got the coolest name for sure, Roland Tembo. Oh, no question. That, like, um, <laughs> the Michael Crichton, high five on that one. Yeah. Mm. Uh, he, yeah, I agree that, like, we don't need that deleted scene. I'm glad that it exists, and I'm glad that I, I can see it and, like, that I've, that I've been able to watch it. But, but it's, he is also kind of a character that uh, benefits from a little bit of mystery, And, you know, he's a little enigmatic and you want him to kind of be like, you don't know where this guy came from when he rides off into the sunset at the end. You don't know where he's going, but you can sort of surmise like he's off to more adventures or whatever. And actually, like, arguably at the end of this movie, he's kind of off to no more adventures. This was the last adventure for him. Um, Because he he kind of says, like, what what does he say? Uh, I've. No, thank you. I've, I've, I believe I've spent enough time in the company of death. So such he, a badass line. Yeah, he might be yeah. one of the only movie characters that makes a smart decision. Yeah. Uh, like, um, what's his name at the end of No Country for Old Men? Huge spoiler for No Country for Old Men. <laughs> <laughs> but Tommy Lee, but it's a, it's a very old movie. Tommy Lee Jones at the end of that movie yeah. just sort of accepts the fact that yeah, there are bigger things out there than me. Um, and I could easily die going, trying to go up against them because who am I? And he, like, has this very humbling experience that just makes him decide, like, yeah, some, I guess sometimes uh, sometimes the bigger things are better left untouched. And I don't know. It's, it's weird. I, I agree with you that Roland is, like, a decent person. He's not an entire villain. He's not, like, 100% mustache-twirling evil rotten to the core um but he is i mean he's a big game hunter so there's there's only so far that i'm willing to say he's a good person when his goal is to uh hunt to the death a prehistoric creature that was just resurrected from extinction um because that also implies like what he does in his regular time which is like hunting you know endangered species probably rhinoceroses and lions and things like that um, so I, like, I, but I agree that, like, the moment when he helps them over the cliff, because they're, they're still dangling from the rope, and they're trying to climb up, and the fact that he's concerned about Kelly, um, yeah, he's a, he's a surprisingly decent person on the, on the side of the villains. Yeah. Yeah. I, I miss him. I miss yeah. that man so much. He is it, it so it'd be interesting like he'd be an interesting character to come back in a later Jurassic Park sequel. I would have loved that. Yeah, like there's a few characters throughout the series that like when I don't know, when I heard that they were making more Jurassic movies, 
part of my excitement was, oh, quick, oh, cool, what kind of dinosaurs are they going to show now that they haven't shown so far or that they have, like, the technology to do, like, even bigger now and stuff like that. But part of it was I kind of want to know what's happening in the lives of these characters that we haven't checked in with. Um, and Roland, I guess, they, 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 they tie it up in a neat bow at the end of this movie for mm-hmm. him. But I kind of would have, I don't know, I'd be curious to know, like, what's Roland Tembo up to in 2022? <laughs> what's I mean, Nick Van Owen doing these days? Did he go back to Greenpeace? That is a question I have, because, again, I didn't want to ask this unless I didn't know if we're going to go in order or not. But I have a genuine, two genuine questions about the finale of this movie. Mm. And one of them is, what happened to Nick? What happened to Kelly, too? She just They both disappear yeah. in the last 20 minutes of the movie. But at the end, you see Kelly again, so I had a feeling like, okay, Nick took Kelly home or whatever while they went to deal with that, so I guess this is going on. But Nick's not in the end of the movie, and right. he's just gone. He's just, like, they, they, he's just landed. He's like, all right, well, it was my fun. Bye, guys. I'm going to catch a train. <laughs> like, was, I, like, he just disappears in nowhere. For, like, one of the main characters gets no closure whatsoever. Yeah, and you'd think you'd think he'd be there helping out with the San Diego fun because that's it. Kind of that's seems at least like a three-person job. Yeah, Jeez. yeah. It's weird that he's yeah. not there. Yeah, and I don't know whether that was like scheduling conflicts or reshoots, but like it's just so weird that he just I, that was so weird that he wasn't there, and that they expl- they did nothing to explain where he went. Yeah, because like, I don't know. I, I had this faint memory of him being at the end at the end when they're all passed out on the couch. I had, I had a very faint memory of. Uh, Nick being there, mm-hmm. but he's not. He's gone. Yeah. So, and also, what I love is apparently um, the way Spielberg discovered Vince Vaughn for this role. This is like young Vince Vaughn. This is post Swingers Vince Vaughn. Apparently, uh, Spielberg had to go see a screening of uh, Swingers to approve the use of the Jaws theme in one of the scenes, mm. and that's where he saw Vince Vaughn. Was like, oh, that's Nick Van Owen. And oh, so he just offered he just offered him the job on the spot because that's how Spielberg works. He doesn't he doesn't audition really. Mm-hmm. He just sees your previous work and says like. Yeah, I think you're the guy. So, yeah. I think he was right. I can't think of anybody else that could play Nick Van Owen so perfectly. It's such like yeah. a, I don't know, like that. The name itself is so good, and it's very like Dickensian almost, yeah. and gives you an idea of who this person is. Um, and yeah, everything about him. I don't know if it's because I saw Vince Vaughn playing him, but also no, I read the. I mean, I read the book before I saw the movie. I and read the book. How was it? Like, how was it compared to this? Oh, the Lost I've, I've World. Read the book. It, yeah. It's very good. I have some things to say about it. Um, but yeah, Nick Van Owen, for one, is a character that, like, as soon as, I don't know, as soon as I saw him on screen, I'm like, oh, they nailed it. This is the guy. Like, this is Nick. Um, the book, so it's interesting. You said something about Ian Malcolm earlier and, like, the evolution of his character and it, that he has P- PTSD and all that. Uh, that is interesting and the most fascinating thing about the sequel is that it never should have existed. Michael mm-hmm. Crichton had no intention of ever writing a sequel to Jurassic Park, uh, but it did so well in in theaters. It was, I mean, it was the most successful movie of all time, and he was kind of pressed to write a sequel so that they could write a sequel script for the movie. Yeah. And the biggest problem for him was he had killed Ian Malcolm in the first movie, Ian, right. in the first book. Ian Malcolm was decidedly dead at the end of the, <laughs> at the, end of the book. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think it's either in the last chapter or in the epilogue. They talk about his death and his funeral. And <laughs> so the biggest co- uh, challenge for him was Ian Malcolm is going to be the main star. Of the, they already decided he was going to be the main star of the second movie, so he had to be the main star of the book. And they, they told Michael Crichton that. And he was just like... 
I, so I guess I, I just have to resurrect this character. Okay. Um, so his hands were kind of tied. And the book is good. Um, it's interesting. It is about Malcolm having this PTSD. He doesn't want to go, but uh, but it's kind of the same situation. Like um, Malcolm, or not Mal, uh, Hammond uses his girlfriend Sarah um, as bait to get to get him to the island. And I forget why he's so why it's so important to get him to the island, but whatever. Um, so the but movie what, happens. What's interesting, and well, the other interesting thing too is Dodson, the character Dodson uh, from the first book and movie. Yeah. Um, he is also a main character in the second book, I've and he's running around the island with them. Like it, it's been a while since I've read it, so I can't remember what happens to him at the by the end of it. But that's a whole thing. But um, but it's interesting. And one thing you said about Jeff Goldblum's PTSD in this movie, or like in this sequel, and the way he's playing it. What I think is interesting is that people aren't really taking it seriously. Like, they're kind of treating it as like, oh, you're, you know, you're being so reactionary. You're being so over the top. <laughs> you're being, you know, whatever. And he constantly has to be like, I have dealt with this situation before, and it's bad. It turns bad. I've, I saw I've been my telling friends you all get from eaten the, by dinosaurs. Yeah, he's Let's like, he, from, from the word jump, he's like, this is not going to go the way we all think it's going to go. And they're all like, ah, you, you always, you're always such a worry war. And then things start going wrong, and he's all like, I don't want to say I told you so, <laughs> but I told you so. And they're like, ah, you, you're always. You're always saying stuff like that. One note I kept writing over and over again is Sarah is an idiot. Kinda. I and love her. I love Julianne Moore, but yeah. But she sucks. What's your case? She's, Make your case. I, you can't. Like, 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 I totally understand, like, initially being cocky and just thinking, no, I can handle this. Wait, the, the line where I just thought, like, no, you have every right to just, like, dump her on the spot is when she said, you're just angry that you're afraid of this place and I'm not. It's like, fuck you, lady. Yeah. He survived. He, he saw his friends get eaten by dinosaurs. <laughs> like, oh, you're afraid of this place. I'll fuck you. That's what I'm you're talking a about. Person. His everybody just dismisses his P, his very valid PTSD. Like, part of me understands why the people on the subway like they're like, oh, we don't believe you. You're a crackpot. Like, okay, yeah. I get why you would, and I totally get why the evil businessmen would. But mm-hmm. why your own girlfriend would just dismiss and write off your traumatic experience where you were crippled by a dinosaur after mm-hmm. witnessing them eat your friends. And you're like, no, she's a terrible person. I'm, I'm a, a little <laughs> sad she didn't get eaten. She should have gotten eaten. And also, like, like when she's taking pictures of the stegosaurus and when the, they start to stampede, why did she run towards the stegosauruses? What did she think was going to happen? Yeah, that's pretty foolish. Um, she makes terrible decisions all throughout this movie and the other characters suffer. Fuck you, Sarah Harding. We love you, Julianne Moore. <laughs> okay, James has spoken. Yeah, I, I wasn't even going to go that hard on her. Um, I... I mean, she, she gets wise later on, but in the initial, like, no, you had every warning. You had every chance to not to not fuck this up. Yeah, I have no problems with her other than be her, like, dismissal, her immediate and complete dismissal of Malcolm's uh, yeah. PTSD. But, but like, to, to her defense, since, I, since somebody needs to defend Sarah Harding a little bit yeah. here, um, when we first meet her, she is concerned about, like, we can't leave a trail, we can't leave, you know contaminate the water and we can't leave wrappers or or you can't smoke here or anything like that um so she's not an entirely terrible person it's you know it's interesting we're talking about sarah harding and roland tembo uh and they're both i guess very gray characters they are uh, neither of them is 100 percent good or bad yeah. <laughs> that's the thing when she keeps going on like no we can't leave a trail it's like what have you been doing this entire time 
<laughs> like, are, you, are you even levitating? Like, no, you're, you're like, it, and uh, they kind of bring that up. It's like, well, this brings a point by just by studying you affect. I'm like, yeah, no mm-hmm. one should be there. And also to that extent, John Hammond still sucks. He stops sending people to your dinosaur island to die. Yeah, the yeah he yeah they have a weird conversation when he goes to see Hammond um, at the beginning of the movie. They have this conversation where he's talking about like, you know, oh I I. I couldn't. I pretty much couldn't stop her from going when when she found out about it, and she right. insisted on going by herself uh, and having the team meet her there later. Like that. That's no. I, just tell no, her no. Just no. Yeah. <laughs> this is a bad idea. Trust me. I was. That there is the last objectively time. a bad idea. And no. You're going to need help <laughs> since you're using my resources. Nah. Um, like, oh, well, all right, you scamp. Yeah, but. I don't know. It's I, I like her. I like Julianne Moore's performance a lot. Um, and I think, like, I don't know, I like the, the way that the group dynamic immediately comes together. Like, I don't know if, um, if Ian and Eddie Carr and, like, Nick and Sarah all know each other previously, but they seem to, as soon as they are on screen together, they seem to have, like, chemistry together. That's the thing. Um, it feels like they do, because she immediately says, like, Hey Nick, hey, hey Eddie, yeah. like, and, like, and like, and they were like, oh hey, hey, what's up? And like, like, I guess maybe they saw each other's pictures and, and like in the in their files, but like normally you'd say like, oh hi, I'm Eddie, oh hi, I'm Sarah. So like, I assume they all know each other. How I don't know, considering they all come from such disparate like industries, so I don't know why they would all know each other. But yeah, yeah. They, they generally it, it feels like everyone's just kind of like meeting again. Mm-hmm. That was, was I, that that confused me a little bit. It confused me a little bit, but I but the more I think about it, the more I appreciate it because we didn't they didn't have to waste any time with like right. here's the scene where they meet each other and exactly. here's the scene where they get to know that. each other, and it's like no, they already kind of have this history, yeah, and we could just play off of that and keep moving forward because um, this movie is, is another thing; it's very kinetic. It just keeps moving forward. Like I'm it. so surprised this movie, I think it's only like maybe three or four minutes longer than the first Jurassic Park, but it feels mm. like so much is always happening at once. Like if you, if you go to a, if I feel like there's no bathroom break moment in this movie. Mm-hmm. So like, I, like I didn't see this in the theaters when I was a kid, just cause like my parents rightfully said, this will tear, this will terrify you. So I, 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 I keep thinking like if I saw this in the, in the movie theater and I had to go to the bathroom, I would have probably missed a key action scene or a key like character moment just cause you're right. This movie doesn't stop moving. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't need to go beat by beat through the whole movie, but there's a few things I do want to talk about um, since we kind of skipped around a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so starting with the opening sequence, um, we get this shot of the ocean and uh, this title card, and then it like, pans up to an island. We get this title card, Isla Sorna, yeah. 87 miles southwest of Isla Nublar. Uh, of course, is Nubar is the first is the island in the first movie where the park was built, um, and this island is called Site B um, or Isla Sorna, which uh, I've looked this up, and apparently in Spanish that roughly translate to translates to sarcasm island. Sorna <laughs> means sarcasm island. Nublar basically means like hidden by clouds or something like that, which is a much more beautiful and poetic name than sarcasm island. Um, but also, this movie so much. Isla Sorna is part of this island chain called the mm. five the Los Cinco Muertos. Uh, which they handily translate for the audience to the five deaths. <laughs> like, what does that mean? Like, um, 
pretty and obvious. If you've ever played the uh, Jurassic World Park Builder game, which is very, very good, mm-hmm. um, you actually get to explore and build a park on each of these five islands, which is cool. Uh, Matanceros, Muerta, Sor- Sorna, Tacano, and Pena. Um, so one thing, one little detail that I like about this opening scene, though, is uh, it, we see this like rich couple, and they have this crew, this whole ship, this whole yacht with a crew, and they're all in like these you know naval uniforms, yeah. pouring them champagne and and setting up this beach day for them, and their daughter's exploring the beach. She finds a dinosaur, and it bites her. Um, one little tiny detail, though, is uh, the woman Deirdre. Uh, at one point says, actually, I think it's 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 literally the first line of the film is somebody's pouring champagne for her and she says, thank you, Jeffrey. And I and I point that out because I'm a huge nerd of the Jurassic Park series. And in the first movie, you probably you've probably seen it enough as like a fan. Um, Mm -hmm. What is the name of the gate guard in the first movie that gets eaten by the Velociraptor? Is it Jeffrey? Yeah, it is. Uh, Yeah, pretty much one of the first lines is um, Robert Muldoon uh, telling the loading team to, you know, like move the crate forward or whatever. And then he says, Joffrey, raise the gate. Um, And Joffrey is the guy that gets knocked down and gets his leg uh, eaten by the Velociraptor. And they try to shoot her, shoot her. Uh, so I don't know if that was just a coincidence or if that was a cheeky little thing that Spielberg threw in there. But I like to, I like to think it has a reason. I, I, I really enjoy the scene. And also one of the things I wrote is Steven Spielberg hates kids. Yeah. He's totally cool with kids. Like, and I think it's a great idea because it truly puts the audience on edge. Like not even kids are safe in this movie. But and is like, this first, before or after he went and like retconned E.T.? This is before. This is before. Okay, so he still hates kids. Yeah, so he still hates kids at this point. Because I remember, like, like in Jaws, he kills poor Alex Kittner. Yeah. In the most brutal way possible. And I was, in fact, I remember for years, I actually thought this little girl was just eaten to death by Compasaurus's because I totally missed the line where Ham's like, oh, no, no, she's fine. Mm-hmm. Again, very blase fair about a child who was attacked by... Right dinosaurs on his island was like eh, this little girl she was attacked no, she, she's fine like <laughs> they're being far too cavalier about this in fact every now and then i could think like does john hammond have dementia is mm. is he is, is senility creeping in because he's just so like like oh yeah she went to the island i couldn't stop her like what you should have stopped her <laughs> so and also that featured a very young what was her name camilla bell i think this was her first role i think like she I think she then went on to be in like, um, what was it? One tree Hill or she was, she was in, oh, okay. she, she went on to become like a, a bit of a thing for a while. And she was also in 10,000 BC, which I still maintain is the worst film ever made. That's the movie about like how we became friends with wolves. Basically. Oh no, that's alpha. Alpha is quite good. 10,000 okay. BC is about, um, how cavemen it's, I'll just mention this. It features a scene where Willie Mammoth helped build the pyramids. Okay. It's, that is everything yeah. I need to know about 10,000 BC. I'm glad, I'm glad you saved me from watching it. <laughs> it it's some, like, I, again, I don't actually like poo-pooing movies because I would like to work with these filmmakers one day and having there being a record of me saying their movie sucks makes me nervous. That being said, 10,000 10, BC is 
it is, it, it's an experience. Like, like the movie, like the movie begins not to like go off on another movie, but I remember the movie begins with a line with young caveman hero and caveman hero girlfriend, grown up version played by Camilla Bell. It says, you see that star? It never burns out, never moves. Just like my love for you. Oh my gosh. Thinking, oh God. We're just at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, no, it's rough. But she, yeah, she, I'm trying to look at her film longer. What did she do? Cause I, feel, I thought she was in like a big TV show for a while. But she was not. I guess she just had like um, a moment, and that moment, I guess, kind of passed. She hasn't really done a lot since like the late two thousands. Well, I'm going to take your word on uh, ten thousand BC, and uh, oh, yeah, I don't, you, I don't need to follow up on that to see if it's yeah, any you're good. Fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're good. Yeah, um, I don't know her from anything else, but. Uh, when she gets attacked by these compies, um, it's it leads to one of the greatest uh, cuts in all of film <laughs> editing history. And I think you know what I'm talking about, yep. where her mom comes running over and she's like, oh, my gosh, Kathy, oh, my gosh. And uh, when she finally like sees the horror of this attack, uh does like a full center center um, camera scream, and it cuts to the yawning maw of Ian Malcolm <laughs> against this tropical backdrop, which yeah. turns out it's just like a poster, a travel poster, uh, as he's waiting for the subway. <laughs> it's a great cut. And what's, what's funny is um, uh, there's another deleted scene, because remember when this used to air on TV, they'd insert these two deleted scenes, the um, Roland Tembo bar scene we're talking about, but also a very, very bland, boring, like, board meeting where they just discuss that they're going to oust John Hammond. Which mm-hmm. I totally get why they cut it. They're, they're like, we find this information out later on, and this is not a very exciting scene, especially after we've just seen a little girl being eaten by dinosaurs. Like, it, told, it, it, was, it, it was a good cut to make. But um, Spielberg really, really wanted that cut because in the original scene, when she screams, it cuts to a yawning businessman at the board meeting. He just really wanted that that yawn cut. Mm. And I think it was a good call. It was a, it was a, it's a, it's a great cut. Yeah. I'm glad he kept some version of it in. Cause it's, it's, yeah. it's hilarious. It's a very, it, again, yeah. it's, it's like the thing with, the, well, it's not as uh, ridiculous and it's definitely a better version of it. Um, but it's like the thing with the gymnastics kick flip, yeah. flip kick where like you're building all this tension. Oh my gosh. What's so scary. And then ha 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 ha. Like now we're, you know, we've got a, <laughs> Just a funny cutaway. Um, Your school cut you from the team? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ridiculous. Um, but yeah, that first that first cut is great. Uh, we see, yeah, we see Malcolm getting on the train. Like people are like looking at him funny because you know he wrote this book about the dinosaurs, and 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 we find out in the next scene um, that everybody else that went to the island, including Lex and Tim, uh, signed waivers or sign some sort of uh, discretionary agreement to deny that anything had happened there. So right. he's the only one apparently talking publicly about it. Um, so he looks like a crackpot and like yeah. he kind of gets mad at, at Hammond about that later. And he tells him, you know, this really affected my livelihood. Um, and I, I just, yeah, I like, I like how this introduces Ludlow um, they have a whole back and forth where he's just like signing papers and doing his whole monologue, but not even looking yeah. at Malcolm. And then There's another great shot of just the way it tracks him down the stairs and it pulls in like and, and Malcolm is staying in the middle. He's just carelessly looking down. It's like 
that's one of those things. That's why he gets Steven Spielberg to direct your movie because he, mm. he he knows the little ways to, to 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 shoot exposition. And then he like puts his he puts his hand on him and he's like, "Careful, this suit costs more than your education." Oh, such a great villain line. You're like, "Oh, you're gonna get eaten so badly." Yes, you're gonna get so eaten later on. You immediately know. Like I I think I was I think I was like. 13 or 14 when I when I when this movie came out and I first saw it and that was my first thought was like because I also I mean I I, when did Last Action Hero come out probably around the same time Uh, that was 93 that was that actually came out the same year as Jurassic Park yeah so I I had watched Last Action Hero a lot and I was that kid where I was like oh I've seen movies before (laughs) you know if you if if somebody says something like that in act one they are gonna get eaten by a robot in act three Uh, by a robot, by a dinosaur in Act Three. Yeah, it's a robot dinosaur, um, technically. But, um, yeah, technically, it would be cool if it was a, if it was eaten by a robot. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm secretly hoping that's what Dominion's about. Tell me nothing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this this guy does get an awesome death later on too, because he's like. Um, so the the other times that we kind of see him throughout the movie is he's on the island being a rich idiot, and yeah. Roland Tembo calls him out on it because the first thing when they go to do the dinosaur hunt is he's like, yeah, whatever, let's set up camp here. It's as good a place as any. Um, Roland kind of, like, lets him get, get through his spiel, and then he's like, yeah, so cancel that last order. Uh, we're not setting up base camp here because it's a game trail, um, and that means that we're basically setting up a buffet for <laughs> for anything, uh, for, any, for a T-Rex or whatever. Um, and then he's like, let me make something clear. I'm in charge. I've been on too many safaris with rich dentists uh, to want to have a death wish. So I should listen to any more terrible ideas or something like that. Um, so, yeah, so he gets shut ones. down. Uh, then he's just kind of he's kind of after that, he's kind of just hobbled. Um, we do see his like presentation to the investors at InGen uh, when he's got all the, the dinosaurs captured. And he's like, well, I'm going to take you on a tour of, of all the larger, more impressive species that we've captured today. Uh, but then they all immediately uh, escape because they've yep. been let out by Nick and and ruin his day. Um, <laughs> and so by the end of the movie, when Roland has captured the, the, the T-Rex, he literally tells him, like, you've saved the company, like, you know, this was a disaster, um, and it all would have, you know, just been, we would have had nothing if, if, you, if you didn't give me this T-Rex to bring back. And when we see the disaster of that, when the when the boat pulls in and or cra- when it's the speed two moment happens and this boat just crashes into the harbor yeah. with the T-Rex on board and gets out and starts running rampant through the streets. They do this really great Spielberg does this really great shot of Ludlow just kind of sitting there like the realization of this is all his fault and. This is this is the last straw that is absolutely going to bury him and end his career. Like just that sinking realization on his face, and at the same time, Malcolm and Harding are coming up to him because they have to ask him, like, "Where is the baby T Rex?" Because that's the key to stopping all of this. Um, and it's just, it's just so well done. Uh, yeah, but then you know his final end because he does get his final come up comeuppance is when they get the big T-Rex, or I'm sorry, they get the little T-Rex back on the boat, mm-hmm. and he, for some reason, decides to go in into the boat. 
I never understood why, like, why are you doing that? You're going into a, a T-Rex pen? I don't like, understand it. Yeah. That, that, that was, that was a, I don't know whether that was one of those things like, all right, just go in. Well, the, you, you need to go in to die. Sorry. Like, like, yeah. I don't know if that was his direction. <laughs> like, sorry, man, this is, this, this, yeah, j- j- just go in. It's fine. Well, I mean, um, you know, he just he just completely ruined the uh, the billion dollar, probably trillion dollar company that he just recently became CEO of, uh, in much the same way that his, that his his um, uncle did. I think there's a great line and where um, after the T Rex gets loose, and Ian Malcolm just leans on him and says, "Now you're John Hammond." Mm. Well, that was mm. a great line because, like, yeah, that's that's basically what John Hammond is. He was he was someone who. Here's the thing. I feel like John Hammond always had the best intentions. Where his nephew and this Ludlow, Ludlow is his nephew, right? Yes. Right. Um, is clearly just a smart businessman. Businessman clearly just wants wants doing this for money. Yep. And which makes him easier to hate and also easier to root for to get eaten by the dinosaur at the end. Mm-hmm. But I also, in a weird way, I felt for him in a moment because he almost saw like genuine guilt in his face because you like. Well, not just the company. He knew that people are going to get hurt. People are going to die. This yes. is like one of my favorite lines in this movie is um, uh, where he says, uh, "Bringing dinosaurs off this island is the worst idea in a long, sad history of bad ideas." Mm-hmm. And that seeing that come to real to a realization, come come to life in such a really fun way, but also just a way of like. Also, a uh, quick bit of trivia: the. Um, Poor guy that gets eaten outside the video rental store mm. was the writer David Cope. Oh no, really? That yeah, that was his little Hitchcock cameo. Is oh, that's one hilarious! Who, yeah, and he's credited in um, I think he's in the credits as poor bastard. Okay, like, yeah, because yeah, yeah. that guy's so unlucky. Like you see this crowd of people running away from the T Rex, and he's just like, oh, I'm gonna run over. I'm gonna you know, make a lateral move yeah. and, and run that way. And the T-Rex just happens to see him break off from the crowd and goes after, and it's like, fuck you in particular. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he also has yeah. the, the best death sounds too. He's like, ah, blah, 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 blah. yeah, it was, just, it was just a really gory, this, this really kicks it up a notch. In fact, like it really does toe the line between PG and 13 and R. I feel like, in fact, when this mm-hmm. came out in, um, cause I grew up in Vancouver in Canada, so their rating system is a bit different um, where uh, each province rates a movie differently. So like a movie could be rated like PG and BC, but in Alberta it might be rated 14A. So the basic ratings are G, PG, 14A, 18A, R. That, mm. That's basically their G, PG, PG, 13, blah, blah, blah. And I remember and a lot of movies that are rated R in the U.S., are actually rated 14A in Canada. So like The Matrix was rated 14A and, and et cetera. This movie, I remember as it came out, none of us could see it in the theaters without our parents because it was rated 14A, huh. which is the same rating that you'd get like a lot of, like, like Schindler's List was rated 14A as well. So this had, this was ostensibly seen to be as appropriate for children as Schindler's List. And it was a big summer blockbuster. Like I remember, like, so I, where am I going with this? I just like I feel this is just a lot grittier and gorier than a lot of people were expecting, which is mm-hmm. in keeping with a Spielberg sequel because Temple of Doom is famously the most um, controversial sequel of all time because a lot of parents took their kids to it and were horrified by what they saw. That's what eventually led to the PG of 13 rating. But I was really impressed and just surprised how brutal Spielberg got in this movie. And I think it's to the movie's 
ultimate like it's what makes the movie it works to its advantage very well it is a yeah. i think it's a much tenser scarier gory movie in fact i was I, i'm rambling at this point i really like that spielberg pushed it to this level yeah it's it really is it rides the line um it it it, the movie has, uh, thinking about it, has nothing um, at all that is, like, sexualized. Like, none of the characters are sexualized in any way. The closest it even ever comes to hinting at anything to do with sex is uh, Nick Van Owen. They're like, yeah. oh, why did you, why were you in Greenpeace or whatever? He's like, the women. Yeah, <laughs> it's like 80% women in Greenpeace. But other than that, like, there's nothing lewd. There's nothing even suggestive or implying sex. So I think that allows them to sort of push the gore and the, yeah. and the scariness right up to the border of what could be considered R. Like the, 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 I could see the ratings board coming down harder on the movie if it had any foul language or implications of sex or anything else that content-wise um, would make it questionable. But because it's Spielberg is so good at being like, nope, the movie has nothing to do with any of that. We're not even going to explore that in the slightest. Uh, and it's just going to be about dinosaurs eating people. He's <laughs> able to push the envelope right up to the razor's edge. I've always thought about these movies because the adult relationships in these movies are very chaste. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you never see anyone kiss. You never even really see anyone hold each other unless it's like, sorry, you nearly got eaten by a dinosaur. Let me console you. That's really yep. the only time that any character really touches. In fact, I, like, I, I never actually... Like my wife called me an idiot when I, for saying this, but I never actually picked up as a kid that um, Alan Grant and uh, oh uh, Sattler, Elio Sattler were a thing mm-hmm. in Jurassic Park. Like I always thought it was kind of hinted that they kind of liked each other, but they never like hold hands and never kiss. So I always thought like maybe she, like she kind of like hinted like oh I kind of want to have kids with you. So I, but I but I never really picked up that they were together. Mm-hmm. Because of that, because I was just a dumb kid. Like if they're together, they're gonna kiss. But yeah, but I, it was, it's really interesting how Spielberg was like, <sighs> yeah, it's not it's, these aren't romantic movies. This isn't these aren't love stories. They yeah. can just be character, be couples who exist as couples, and we don't need to see them kiss. We don't need to see big grand "I love you" and "I'm gonna come back to you" monologues. Yeah, not until Jurassic World. Jurassic yeah. World is really the only one that that has that as like a B story. Yeah, there's, there's, like even though they're couples, there aren't really these. At no point are these really love stories. Mm-hmm. What I really thought was cool was how um, there's like a big Spielberg trait is um, father issues. A big trait is just mm. the characters like either uh, a character is like not ready to become a father, or is a father figure to certain characters, or it's about the contentious relationship between a father and child. Mm-hmm. So I think. I, like was um like, I think you mentioned this, but Kelly was in the book. Yeah. Okay. So part of me wonders how much of I wonder how much of Michael Crichton's book was influenced by what Spielberg and Universal and those guys wanted to do. Heavily, from my yeah. understanding, very heavily. Yeah, there was also another another kid. It was like Kelly and her friend. Mm-hmm. Um and they both sneak onto the the truck and like onto the island and like they're kind of having their little, um, what's her name Penny from Inspector Gadget, right? Uh, and what's the dog's name? Brain. 
brain. Yeah, Penny and Brain. They're kind of having their own like Penny and Brain B side <laughs> adventure, while the adults are having their adv- their like main adventure. Kind of what happens in Jurassic World with the uh, the two brothers. Uh, yes, kind of like that. Or I was gonna say like um, the character. I'm trying to remember his name. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up real quick. Okay. But he reminds me a little bit of the other. The, the two like their dynamic in the book reminds me of the two characters from Jura- from from Ext- uh, extinction it, was it extinction fallen kingdom from uh, Jurassic World fallen kingdom um the one that's like a veterinarian and oh the yeah other and kid the, and the kid's like oh no that's like scared of everything yeah. <laughs> ah! yeah also one thing that I thought was just a, such a ballsy move on everyone's part was naming their sequel The Lost World. Like, like Colon Jurassic Park. Colon Jurassic Park, just because like it's famously a famous book by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, mm-hmm. which was then made into a 1925 movie, which then kind of paved the way for this. So for them to say, like, no, we're calling this movie The Lost World. We're, 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 we're claiming that title. It was a very ballsy move, but I guess if anyone could do that, it's Steven Spielberg. Crichton had no interest in writing a sequel to Jurassic Park, but... By the way, um, I, I think I asked. I don't, don't don't know if you answered it. How did he resurrect Ian Malcolm if they had his funeral? How, how, in the in the novel, how did he justify him living? Do you remember? I don't remember off the top of my head. Uh, how did Malcolm come back? Oh, here we go. Uh, th- this is just like a like a very quick Wikipedia explanation. But um, in the first book. He gets, you know, he gets attacked by the T-Rex. He gets a leg injury, puts like he puts a bad tourniquet on it. And uh, it says that his his condition continues to worsen. By the time the Costa Rica Air Force arrives to Isla Nublar, Malcolm is said to have died from his injuries. In the sequel, The Lost World, it is revealed that the declaration of his death was premature and Malcolm was able to be saved. <laughs> so uh, paperwork. <laughs> Um, somebody did right. the paperwork a little too soon and declared him dead. And then at the hospital, they were it. like, oh, no, he's fine, actually. But we've already we've already done the paperwork. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's, that's one way to work around it. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> also didn't, didn't didn't Hammond die in the Jurassic Park book? He sure did. And they, they kept that consistent. Uh, okay, he so actually, he gets killed in a very similar way to uh, Dieter in this movie. It's a very, very similar setup where yeah. at first, yeah, he sort of sees like one little compy and he's like, whatever, um, you're tiny. And I think he even like kicks it and starts this walking up a hill. Um but it bites him, and in the book they go, they they make it very very clear that compies have uh, venom in their bite that makes you right. like slowly start to like get weaker, and eventually it pra- pra- paralyzes you. Um, and so when he gets bit by the by in Hammond's case, when he gets bit by the first one, it weakens him just enough that like. As he's trying to climb over this hill, it doesn't look that hard. Mm-hmm. And then as he's like getting to the top, he's starting to get more winded than he expected to. And like when he turns around, there's a whole bunch of compies now. Um, and they just one by one start to like jump on him and, and take him down. Um, so it's very, very similar to yeah. the way they did it with uh, Dieter. Such, um, a gr- such a nice touch in that scene. Like I remember this is the scene that terrified me as a kid was getting the... Compy to rip off his lip. Oh uh, yeah, 
that's such a nice touch. Like, ah. yep. like, yeah. Oh, by the way, so I didn't, I, I wasn't allowed to see this in the theaters as a kid. Uh, did you see this opening weekend? Sure did. Yeah. What was the audience reaction like? Do you remember? Oh, uh, one moment in particular um, that I will never forget is it's one of the best jump scares I've ever seen mm-hmm. when they're when they're uh, digging when they notice like the raptors are digging yeah. through the front door so they will go to like the side door and they start digging underneath and then Kelly's like where do I go once I go out um, and she's like just run and then she puts her head down and boom the velociraptor just appears that's a great moment it's so good and I just remember yeah I remember everybody including myself gasping mm-hmm. and just having like a simultaneous oh like. <laughs> reaction to that um it was a lot of fun the yeah i remember when the uh when the raptors were when they show that that wide shot of them snaking through the tall grass um and nobody sees them like that got a big reaction uh, i remember the, I, re- I just remember this being a lot of fun to see in the theater i think it was like the first movie that i ever went on a quote-unquote date to Ooh. in the movie theater uh at, at you know the the mature age of 13 years old Ooh, did you get some sweet hand-holding action? Uh, no, not, well, yes, I think I did, yeah. yeah. Did, um, yeah. <laughs> did you get a little kiss at the end of it? A little kiss on the cheek, maybe. Yeah, right. it was very, very, I had a very a PG-13 relationship <laughs> um, at 13 years old. <laughs> That's right. Also, one thing I wanted to, wanted to bring up is, I thought John, like, one thing I wrote is John Williams does it again. Oh, yeah. I thought it was a great score, and I thought the act, like, add, like the, the, the bongo motif, I thought that was a really clever idea to make it feel more tribal and more mm-hmm. exotic. That was really, like, like, nothing beats the score of the first film. It's one of the best film scores of all time. But I really, I really enjoyed the extra motifs he added to this. It really gave the movie its own feel. In fact, I think one of the reasons we were talking about, uh, we were, you were saying earlier how this movie stands, along, stands on its own. One thing I wrote, which is kind of a random thing to write down, is I miss um, when sequels had their own name. I feel mm. like we don't get that a lot anymore, and I feel that that helps manage expectations. This isn't exactly Jurassic Park 2. This is just another story in that universe, and I, I, I feel like that... I wish we saw that more. I wish we saw that more, like, creative endeavor of just, all right, these are the same characters, but they're in a different story. It's not a two. It's a part two, if you will, if that's... Oh, that's a silly explanation. But I, I do miss that. I, I, I do miss that trope. I wish we had more movies with standalone titles. Like, do you feel like Marvel does it well? Like, like uh, Doctor Strange, and then the sequel is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Like, is that what you're talking about, or is that not quite? I do. For me, it was also thinking like, like um, Batman Begins, and then it was the Dark Knight. I really like okay. that. And things. Like, I, there's just something about, or, or like Star Wars, and then the Empire Strikes Back. There's something about letting these sequels stand on their own, mm-hmm. and I think giving them their own titles helps that. Yeah. Maybe maybe, maybe it's just in my head, but I, 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 just, I just I just miss that. I wish I'd, we'd see more. We'd see less blank like uh, Jurassic Park two or Jurassic Park colon. Blah, blah, blah. I, w- I wish we'd. Uh, it's a cool trait where I feel like we don't see any more outside like the James Bond movies. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. James Bond is a good example of that. Yeah. Yeah. Just random thought. One of my one of my technical issues with this mm-hmm. movie is. Um, I like this at the same time it retcons something from the first film that I've never been able to reconcile. Um, during during Malcolm and Hammond's conversation, uh, he meant Hammond calls Isla Sorna Site B, and he says it was like the factory floor um, that that Nublar where the park was was just going to be where 
audiences come to see the dinosaurs. Um, but he he explains that their plan was they bred the animals and nurtured them for a few months on Site B before bringing them over, before moving them over to the park. Right. Um, and the problem with that is the first movie prominently has a scene of eggs hatching and uh, Grant holding one and being like, yeah. you bred raptors. And they have like the whole realization about how all the dinosaurs are female. Um, and so they are, I mean, clearly they were breeding those eggs in the park. Uh, that was, that confused me too. I mean, when he said that, it's like, like, so I guess was the, but, Eggs scene was that new development? Was that something you guys just installed? Like, I'm like, I, I was with you there. That, that confused me. I thought that was, I'm surprised that considering they were very careful about retconning everything in this movie, like the, the way they explained away why the dinosaurs didn't die due to lysine, uh, 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 lysine deficiency. I was like, mm-hmm. like, oh no, they're eating soy based things and then the carnivores eat the herbivores and that's how they live. Like, yeah, they were really careful about tying everything up so you don't have any questions. That was a big head scratcher. I, I I was very confused about that as well. Yeah, but that's another issue. Like, yes, it's a good it's good that they take the moment to explain it, but it also doesn't make sense if you think about it for too long because yeah. they. So one thing he does say is that Hurricane Clarissa knocked out the Site B facility and they had to evacuate everybody that was there. And apparently, that facility is where they were breeding dinosaurs, right? Mm-hmm. But the idea from the from the get go was that the re- the island was just going to be like a like a like a natural ecosystem where they just let the dinosaurs run free right right so why would they have why would they have uh lysine rich plants planted around the island why wouldn't they make sure like if they're also if they're, they're running free like like it's pretty dangerous for the caretakers who are supposed to give them their lysium injections because they're just like they're not like in an enclosure like like because how do they like basically they had to each dinosaur had to be injected with with with, with lysium was wasn't that yeah fair? so now they're just like like you gotta basically like stalk them like prey and like give them their jab that's not fair to those poor jurassic park employees who are who's responsible is to give them the lysium deficiency lysium shots on site b yeah it doesn't so, seem all that well thought through <laughs> it does not <laughs> It, 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 this, they definitely try and find any way possible to get these, get all these characters back to, back to a dinosaur island. But in fact, I, I do feel like, in a way, this should have been the last one. As much fun as I've had watching most of the other ones, in theory, once a dinosaur wreaks havoc in a major populated city and people die, you'd think, okay, that's it. We're never going to develop dinosaurs ever again. Yeah, and we're never going to go back to this island. It is clear this is a bad idea, and they kind of find a clever way around it in Jurassic Park Three. How they just like do an unlicensed tour, and they accidentally end up there due to like a what was it like a, a parachute? Their parachute got away or something like that. But, in the third, yeah, yeah. But I feel like in everyone's sense, it was like, why do you keep doing this stuff? We know what's going to happen. Like, no, 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 no. We'll do it differently this time. Like, no, you won't. <laughs> this keeps happening. Yeah, they yeah the well one nice thing that's that's always going on in the background um, that the, I think the books kind of make this a little more clear, uh, but it, it it is part of the drama of all of the films is that there's actually two cloning companies. InGen is the main one that John Hammond starts, 
Um, they're the ones making the main dinosaurs. And then this other company, Biosyn, which is who Lewis Dodson works for. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the first movie, Biosyn is the company that uh, Dodson works for. He gets Nedry to to get the embryos because he's going to sell them to Biosyn so that they can catch up on Hammond's research. And so part of the problems in the later movies happen because of Biosyn and InGen still working against each other and being like rival genetics labs. Um, okay. Yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> that's neither here nor, here nor there in this movie, mm. but but it is part of yeah, it is part of the plot of the book. Like that okay. that Lewis Dotson from Biosyn finds out about this island and comes and this time instead of stealing el- embryos, he's just going to steal eggs directly uh, and take the eggs back to his lab. We'll just never learn. Yeah. Yeah, these people never learn. And uh, I'm excited for you to see Jurassic World Dominion so you can find out how much they absolutely never learn and never will. Um, yeah. One thing uh, I, really, I really do hope for Dominion is I really hope that just whenever that little girl who freed the dinosaur speaks, I just want them all to say, shut up. You shut the fuck up. <laughs> oh, look, the stegosaurus. You shut up. <laughs> I can't say any more about it okay. without, yeah, without without right. going into spoilers. Um, I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> one, here, here's one thing I keep. I, this is a question I've had since I was eight years old. Mm-hmm. No one's ever been get, able to give me a straight answer. Maybe you can. What happened on that boat? Okay. Because like all of a sudden the boat comes careening into the dock. There yes. are body pieces, body parts everywhere. And but it's never clear what ate the crew. Mm-hmm. It's never clear how they got out. Like, I, like what happened to those crew members, and why did they all get eaten? So it doesn't make sense. It's incongruous. Um, there is uh, there there was an explanation at one point that, okay. and I think this happens in the book that um, a raptor or a couple of raptors snuck onto the boat uh, while it was leaving the dock. And they are what ate the crew of the boat and accidentally released the T-Rex. But what happened to the raptors? Don't know. Um, <laughs> the, in the movie, <laughs> I think they jumped off the boat and swam or something. Who knows? But in, in the movie, they I, I really need to read that book again. In mm-hmm. the movie, they uh, I think there either was a scene in the script that got cut, or they might have even filmed part of it uh, before it got cut, but... But it, they were going to explain that it was raptors that ate, like, the guy whose hand is still hanging yeah. onto the wheel of the boat and, like, the, the helm. Um, yeah, that, that apparently they got eaten by raptors. Uh, the only explanation that I can, like, fill in or retcon in my, in my head canon is that they – there is a line where – they say that, like, the uh, Harding asks this guy from InGen, how did this happen? I thought the, I thought the T-Rex was tranquilized. Mm-hmm. And he says, yeah, but something about its vital signs, so we gave it this, like, adrenaline shot or something to counteract the effects of the tranquilizer because I think they were worried that it was going to die mm-hmm. from too much tranquilizer. So they did, they injected it with something that counteracted that, and I remember her saying, or her, either her or Malcolm, when they tell her the chemical that they used, they say, oh, well, now he's basically, you know, like, 
on adrenaline. He, he's, he basically like amped him up. Um, so now we've got an even more dangerous uh, a coked out T-Rex on coked out T-Rex running around the city. Um, and then, of course, the solution is to once again shoot it with a tranquilizer. So this thing's heart is is oh, going to explode. Anyway, he's on so many drugs. <laughs> yeah, they put him on like massive downers and then shot him up with uppers to wake him up and then put him on massive downers again to put him put him back to sleep. It's he's yeah, gonna he's gonna, he's gonna have later. a heart attack. Uh, so so I guess the explanation is they opened the hatch, the cargo hatch, just enough to be able to shoot it with uh tra- not the, the anti tranquilizer. Um, and then my my guess is that the baby was able to get out and the baby ate the people, the crew. Okay, I Which doesn't make a whole that. lot of sense. No, wait, no, that that's how actually do they, how did they get That's the actually entirely untrue because the, the no, the baby was flown in separate from the adult. Right. It wasn't even on the boat. So that's I don't know, man, because they show because, <laughs> man, they show they show it busting through the, the hatch is clearly in there to get off contained. of the boat. Ugh. Yeah, there's no way that it could have gotten on, like gotten to where the rest of the crew of the boat was and ripped off a guy up to the wrist, mm-hmm. uh, ripped off his, his arm up to the wrist while he's still holding steering the ship. I don't know. It, it's. I don't know. Raptors, look, Raptors yeah. got on the boat, they, they caused <laughs> havoc, and then they decided to swim back to Isla because they were like, well, that was fun, but we Good don't want to go to the mainland. Yeah. No more questions. Yeah. Yeah. I have some questions. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I think the last time that you were on the show was this past Christmas, right? Uh, I think it was maybe two Christmases ago. I think it's been a while since we... Was it? Oh, okay. Yeah, it has been a while. Um, So, so James, we have a new section of Robots vs. Dinosaurs. It's called Lose Big Three. And uh, there's going to be some theme music that's going to play. Yeah, you'll just have to listen to the episode to hear the theme music. But it's my friend Ryan singing. It's going to be great. Um, (laughs) So, Ryan, hit the theme. Lose Big Three, it's you and me. We're going to have fun with Lose Big Three. Thanks, Ryan. That was fantastic. Oh, such a good theme. It's the best right? I've ever heard. So good. Yeah. Uh, and he sings it so consistently every time. It's amazing. Voice of an angel. Thanks for that, Ryan. So this is Lou's Big Three, my b- three biggest questions that I had while watching The Lost World Jurassic Park. Lou's Big Three number one. Um, so, yes, there are some inconsistencies, like with the boat. That was almost going to be one of my big three questions, but I had a feeling that it was going to be something you would ask anyway. Right. Because it's such a glaring plot hole. Yeah. Um, Where's Nick and what happened to the boat crew? Those are my biggest questions of, of the Lost World. Yep. So one of my big questions is, uh, lose big three, number one. Why Sarah Harding, and you've already kind of expressed some of your frustrations with her. Um, I guess this is one other problem with her that I have. Why, at, at one point, they're walking through the jungle when both groups are combined, and Roland comes up and he's like, are you okay? Because she has blood all over her jacket. And she's like, oh yeah, it's not mine, it's the baby T-Rex. Uh, later, one scene later, they're all making camp, and the fact that she has this bloody jacket hanging up in her tent is the reason that the T-Rex comes and like sticks its snout into her sleeping bag, into her tent, and lifts it up and, and scares the crap out of her and Kelly, and they narrowly escape. So why why was she still wearing the jacket, Jim? 
That is that is a good question. Also, a big one. Why did Roland Timmons like lose the fucking jacket right now? Right? Like lose how, the jacket. Like he's a big game hunter. How did it get and, to this point? Yeah, you're wearing you're wearing the blood of its young yep. on your person. Get rid of it. Yeah. It's it's not that cold here anymore. We're on a tropical island. You don't need it. Yeah. So I was, uh, that that is a that's a very I didn't even actually didn't even realize that's why it totally makes sense that's why like the dinosaur poked its head in because like oh mm-hmm. I smell my baby in here. Oh God, she's so fucking dumb. <laughs> God <laughs> damn it. Just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that, that made you hate Sarah Harding even more. Uh, I love you, Julianne Moore. Yeah. But it, I mean, it's also yeah. on Roland because like she should have known better being a paleontologist and like yeah. her all of her bold claims about working with big cats and everything out in the field uh, in, in on safari. And then Roland Roland did say something about it. He should have taken the next logical step and been like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, that's just the blood of the baby T-Rex that's haunting all of us. OK. Wait, what? What? Yeah, what is that? Like, what? No, get rid of it. Take that off, lose it. lose it. You don't need that. It's hot out. You don't need that jacket. <laughs> take whatever. If, if, if there's anything important in the pockets, take them out. Um, okay, so lose big three number two. You kind of alluded to this, and I forgot that it was uh, in the deleted scenes. But um, can you talk a little bit more about Roland and Ajay's relationship? Uh, because he's he is so devastated at the end. When he's like, when when Ludlow, when Hammond Jr. offers him a job, um, he's like, you know, oh, great, great sport. Uh, we did it. We, we, we made it. We all survived. And he's like, well, Ajay didn't make it. And he seems just so bummed out about that. So how much does like the, does the deleted scenes go into the nature of their relationship? It's been a while since like, I, I, I didn't have time to, to watch the deleted scene before we came on. So I couldn't re- reacquaint myself with it. But it's basically a full scene where you get to know, like, it basically establishes that a, uh, Ajay and Roland Tembo are good friends or old friends. And Ajay is the one who comes to Roland with this proposal, which is like, hey, they're looking for someone to go to this island to hunt a T-Rex if you want to go. And he, under- he seemingly understands Roland better than he understands himself. Uh, in fact, I know this is like a v- not great for, um, let, me, let me try and find that blue scene right now. Is it very long? It's, all right, it's a four minute scene. I guess, we, I guess we don't have to watch that, but... Oh, no, we can, we can check they, it out. Okay. Four minutes later. I can see why that was cut. Totally understand why it's cut, but it's also a really good scene. So yeah. I, I, I'm glad it exists. I'm glad we can see it now. Because we do learn that him and Ajay are old friends. He sends them aftershave every Christmas. Um, and so they, they've clearly known each other a while. And also he clearly has his own thoughts on what big game hunting is nowadays, where he says we were basically just a firing squad. There was no sport in it. Mm. He's looking for sport. He's looking for adventure. And he's just like a, a he's, he's a bored adventurer at a bar, getting drunk, just fighting whoever he can. Um, it makes Ajay more of a character rather than just like one of the bad guys that's there. He's, he's in, in, like now he's just there, and I totally understand why they cut the scene because Pete Postlewaite is just such a good actor. You're able to pick up these things from his performance as the movie goes on, so you really mm. don't need this scene to understand more about him. But poor Ajay is now just a silent character who gets eaten, and then. Roland is really distraught about it for whatever reason. Yeah, I guess if I ever if I ever had the chance to like interview uh, Spielberg or Pete Possilwait about this character, because I'm sure he did a lot of his own like headcanon about the character. Uh, I got some really bad news for you, Lou. Oh, I know, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't, don't have to tell it. I know Steven Spielberg's a big, famous director, and I'll never be able to interview him. You don't have to tell me. That's it. That's it. Yeah, that's the bad news. Pete Possilwait is totally fine. Yep, totally okay. 
Yeah, just like just like my family dog when I was eight years old. Totally <laughs> exactly. fine. Totally fine. He he probably went to go live on the same ranch upstate uh, as my dog did. Yeah, also so, ranch. Um, lose, <laughs> lose big three, number three. Uh, James, uh, this is this is a question for you. Okay. Um, how many dinosaurs and which dinosaurs do you think you could fight if you were in a Lost World Jurassic Park situation? None. None? Not even none. like one copy? Evidently one baby stegosaurus. There is never one copy. There is okay. never one baby. That, that's what we take from this movie. There's there's no just there's never just one. Okay. I could probably take on one copy if I got like a good stomp in. Mm-hmm. But then I know twenty of his friends are gonna show up and slowly eat me alive. I know like that's 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 my fate. Okay. So no, like I gen, like if you go to any Jurassic Park island, whether it's contained, whether it's whether it's like a safari, or whether it's an open Jurassic World theme park you're going to die. Mm. Something is going to kill you. You're going to get trampled. You're going to get bitten or eaten. I can confidently say in a fight between me and a dinosaur, I would lose no matter what size and age. I, I do not have my, I'm not so confident to say, yeah, I could fight that fucking copy. <laughs> <laughs> fucking come at me. No, huh. he would, no, I would, I would die. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm secure. I'm, I'm secure. I, mean, I am secure with myself enough to admit I would lose in a fight with a dinosaur. Man, because that that scene is so effective with the compies because he even does at one point start picking up rocks and like throwing them at them. Just and desperation. If you've ever seen like any nature documentary or like anything anything where they talk about like predators, mm-hmm. they always say like that you, you don't really have to fight that hard to get a predator to stop attacking you because they're they're mainly concerned with not getting injured and going after easier prey. So if you fight back, um, t- typically a predator will move on to, like, easier game. Right. But these things, they, they kind of establish, and it makes it so ironic when he gets killed by them. Um, in that first scene where he sees one, there's that, like, Jack Horner uh, analog uh, paleontologist that they brought yeah. with them. That's like, oh yeah, they, they, they. He's like, oh, it's like, it's almost like they don't fear me. They have no fear, and he's like, yeah, they've never uh, encountered humans. They would have no reason to. And then he zaps it with the cattle prod, and he's like, well, now they do. And that's another. This thing is totally going to fucking kill you later. Yes, and that, he absolutely deserves what he gets. Yeah. Um, but when he's like throwing rocks at them, they're like, "Yeah, what's that supposed to be? We're we're not like." We're not. <laughs> they just kind of look at it and then keep advancing because there's, like you said, like twenty or thirty of them. Um, so yeah, like that. But it gives me this false sense of like, man, if I was in that situation, I could just keep kicking them or fight back or something. But I think that's I think that's the trap that you fall into, and that's how you end up getting killed by them. Is you think like. Yeah, eventually I'm going to win, but no, eventually you're going to get exhausted. Eventually they're going <laughs> to run you down and just wait for you to get tired. Um, and there's enough of them that they're going to just keep following you until that happens. So I also do think that the, when you brought up that in the book, it explains that copies have venom. That too. Because yeah. one thing I kept thinking was, man, Dieter is giving up pretty easily. Like he's doing like, the, uh, I fell and he's not yeah. getting up. It's like, so like, dude, get up, just just get up. Mm-hmm. But then eventually he just like hobbles himself over a log and slowly dies. Like it felt that was, I felt like that was definitely Spielberg's nod to the birds. 
Mm. Like it doesn't, you don't need like one big thing to kill you. Sometimes it just need like a million small things and it's way more terrifying. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, uh, James, you've been on the show before, so you know that I have two bonus questions that Mm. I like to ask at the end. Uh, number one is what's your snack? Uh, so did you enjoy a snack while watching this movie? I know you didn't see it in the theater, um, but did you enjoy a movie snack while watching The Lost um, World? I was on a plane watching this movie, so I had <sighs> I had air, airplane pretzels while I was watching The Lost World on my tablet and taking notes furiously. Very nice. Okay. So that, that, was, that was my Lost World's movie snack. Awesome. Um, bonus question number two. Uh, if we were to replace any two actors and or dinosaurs in this movie with Jeff Gold- oh, with Jeff Goldblum, um, <laughs> with Danny DeVito and Whoopi Goldberg, who would you replace and how would it improve the film? So I think remember when we talked about um, Fallen Kingdom, I brought up that uh, apparently the creators um, had named um, the T-Rex Roberta. Yes. Um, obviously, Roberta's not in this because it's Site B. There's a two different two different T-Rexes. So in my notes, I called them George and Wheezy. <laughs> um, so I would I would think maybe... I would, I would maybe cast Danny DeVito and Whoopi Goldberg as the two, as the two T-Rexes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think that's what I would, what I would do. I, I think they would, they would bring range range of these two parents who are just trying to find their lost child. I think we can okay. trust like two theater trained actors to, to bring the weight. And so there are like, what kind of costume are they wearing or what kind of effects are they using to dinosaur them up? Or are they just in face paint or? I mean, it's 97. So we're going by like 97 rules. Cause that's a mocap all the way. But if we're going by 97, yeah, I would just say like maybe just in costumes. Just costumes. Just costumes. Make 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 them bigger on a green screen. That's that's what I would do. Okay. All right. I could see that. I think um, for me it would be uh, uh, Devito as um, Roland Tembo, for sure. <laughs> uh, but um, who would keep Possible White play? Uh, you know what? You, this movie's so perfectly cast that it's hard to even shuffle people around. It's um, such a good cast. It's a really, really well cast film. Yeah, man. Who? Where would I put Peace Possibly? Because I don't want to lose him. Yeah. But I like. I can't think of anybody that. I'm like, yeah, but if because like the guy that plays Ludlow is perfect as Ludlow. Uh, the guy that plays Dieter is perfect as Dieter. Not that I want to insult Devito with such a small casting. I would maybe recast him as the guy gets stepped on and gets stuck to the, t- to the T-Rex's foot. Okay, I could see I, that. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think you'd do quite well in there. Like, ah, no, a T-Rex. Like, that would, <laughs> yeah. Fair oh, enough. Oh, God, my back. No, 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 I could see that. <laughs> uh, awesome. All right, well, I think that we have, um, I think we fixed all of the problems with the Lost World Jurassic Park, and there weren't that many, but, I, you I know, I think really we've like identified... All of the all of the areas where it needed a little bit of improvement, and now it's a ten out of ten film. <laughs> um, exactly. so, or as you stated at the beginning, this is a perfect film. It's it is now. That's what I meant. Is that once we make a few small casting changes, it will be a perfect film, and now yeah, it is exactly. Uh, so Steven Spielberg, give us a call. I know you're busy making um, uh, the Lost City, uh, West Side Story two, but. Um, 
but you know, give us a call when you're when you when you've got a break on set. Uh, so, James, do you have any final thoughts about this movie before we wrap up? I'm looking through my notes for things we didn't talk about. Ooh, one thing was, that was really fun, and um, I don't know if you saw the posters in the blockbuster. There's uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as King Lear. Yes, uh, I wrote those down. Great. Yes, and then there's a uh, Robin Williams in a Jack and the Beanstalk movie, mm-hmm. and Tom Hanks in Tsunami Surprise. Sun was it Surprise or Sunrise? Oh, tsunami tsunami sunrise. sunrise. No, I, I I totally misread it. You're right. You're right. I remember thinking, what's Tsunami Surprise? <laughs> <laughs> Both um, work. As I was going to say, uh, Tsunami isn't very surprising. It just kind of happens. <laughs> um, the other thing I was reading was um, apparently so filming for this movie began. On according to IMDb or Wikipedia, wherever I read this, the filming began on September 6th, 1996. Hmm. And this movie was released on May 23rd, 1997. That's an wow, insane that's turnaround for this kind of movie. And I know Spielberg is really good at that. He's really good about like, because like famously, Schindler's List was filmed and released within the same year, which is insane. And also, fam- even more famously, um, when they got the green light to do War of the Worlds, they were hoping for a 2007 release date, and Paramount said, "No, you got to make this in by for next year." I was like, "How are we going to do that?" I, like, I know you got to figure it out. So basically, War of the Worlds was just a huge rush job. So when, I always always really liked War of the Worlds. Yeah, I thought it got an unfair amount of flack, but whenever it gets any flack, it's like just keep in mind this was made on the fly. Like they had to make this fast. I was really surprised about how fast the turnaround was. But also, um, do you remember the the teaser trailer for, for, for this, this movie? One? Yeah, remind me. It's a really, I like. It's one of the few teaser trailers that actually scared me as a kid. Just I just remember so... the, the posters saying something has survived, which yeah. is not. It's it's an inaccurate setup to the yeah, plot of this film. But yeah, but great tagline. Yeah. Um, but basically, it's just it's just you just hear the, the the thump and you're like lightning strikes and you hear the T Rex roar. And see it step into the mud and rain. It's a really great shot of the rain filling the muddy footprint. And this is a Steven Spielberg film. But um, it's basically in between lightning strikes. And apparently in 42 theaters across the country, they had installed special strobe lights just for this, like, one-minute teaser. So for (laughs) when the lightning struck, strobe lights went... And I really wish that 25 years later we still did that. I think that'd be so like we we now have surround sand. I think that'd be a really cool outside like the 40x movie theaters. I wish they kept that. I was gonna yeah. say I, I don't know if you've been to a 40x movie, but um, I saw one of the Fast and the Furious movies in 40x, and never again, never <laughs> ever again. I'm glad it exists. It's a novel thing. Yeah. It's it's fun for 10 minutes. Yes. Um, but who boy, I will never sit through another full movie of 40X again. No, I saw, I saw, I've seen two. I saw The Nightmare Before Christmas, which is the perfect length for a 40X movie. It's only like 70 minutes long. So that, and that was a magical experience. And then I saw, I think it was the Ben Hur remake. I think I had a free ticket. And that, no. again, it, it, it's, it, it's exhausting. Cause like after like two and a half hours, just like, just stop moving. Mm-hmm. So no, it's, but yeah, if it's a seventy-minute movie, totally go for it. But I, no, not 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 for me. Yeah. yeah. And don't don't try to sit in one of those seats with a full popcorn because <laughs> it just oh, goes everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing. Like, remember when I went to see? Um, I think it was when we saw Ben Hur. Like, with, like 
like because no one took it seriously as a movie, not because it was a bad movie or anything, but just because it, it's a theme park ride at that point. Mm-hmm. So you're talking to your friends, you're laughing, you're not actually taking in the movie because you're just being jostled everywhere. So I feel like, which I feel like for a Fast and Furious movie, that's great. Mm-hmm. But those movies have just gotten like so long. They're now like two and a half. I don't want to spend two and a half hours being like thrown about. It's and, too long. And it's also you get in, into this mindset of like in between action scenes. You're like, oh, they didn't really plan anything for this. So my chair is just kind of floating and tilting yeah. and has nothing to do with what's happening on screen. But they had <laughs> to do something. They had to program something to you happen. Didn't. So I didn't you forget. You didn't sit still for a minute. Yeah. No, I'm with you there. And also, one oh, one thing I wanted to bring up is um, I don't like I generally feel this movie has the best tie-in arcade game because I used to play this okay. all the time. I went to the movie theaters. They have this, this tie-in arcade game called Lost World, where it's like you sat in this jeep and you have the two guns. Oh, this is the and, shooter game. I love that yeah, game. Yeah, I love that game. I think that was my that like whenever I go to the movies, that was like my pre-movie tradition as I go play the Lost World arcade game. I love that game. I have an unflattering story about my, it's about myself. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm the unflattering character in this story. Um, <laughs> I live down I live down the street from a movie theater in Queens, and they have the new Jurassic uh, shooter game, like whatever version of it that it's called. Um, I didn't know and, and it came, What's that? I didn't know I didn't know there was a new Jurassic World arcade game. Oh yeah, they've updated that thing and it's awesome. Like ever since they updated it after the Jurassic World came out and uh I, I man um it's very fun. It's the same premise. You sit in a car, there's two guns. Uh so I I had a day off one day. <laughs> and I go to this movie theater all the time mm-hmm. and because I have like the AMC pass, I I right. just I see everything that's playing and I like yeah. reached a point where I had seen literally everything that was playing in the theater that I wanted to see. Right. Um, but every time I had gone to the theater in, in those couple of weeks, I had passed by that, that arcade machine and always been like, man, I really want to play that, but I don't, you know, I'm, I don't have time. I'm going to see this movie. And then I have plans right. afterwards. So I took a day off or I had a day off and I just went <laughs> to the movie theater just for the purpose of playing that game and I was determined I'm going to beat this game. I'm going to spend however many hours and however much money it takes to keep putting tokens into the machine. I'm going to beat this game. I, after about like half an hour of playing it, noticed that there were these two kids that were like waiting outside Aww. of it because they had wanted to play. And then at some point, like their dad came over <laughs> and was like, are you going to be done soon? And I was just like, I'll be done when I beat the game, but I don't know how long, I don't know when that is because it doesn't tell you how long it is. And he's like, my kids just want to play real quick. And I'm like, but I've made so much progress. So you're still in your quarter. And I I was still on my, well, I put in a lot of quarters. Like Ah, I put in a, I think it's one of those things where you have to like buy a card and it Mm. fills up with credits and then you use the card for credits. Right. I don't, I don't remember the exact logistics of it. But uh, I, <laughs> but I had definitely loaded up the card if it was a card, or brought enough quarters with me that I wouldn't have to get up because I had planned for that contingency. Right. Um, but then, yeah, as soon as it got to the point where like a dad was asking me <laughs> to please <laughs> get out of the machine so that his his kids could play, I was just like. Yeah, all right. I, I thought of all the arguments in my head of like, well, I paid for, you know, I, my money's just as good. Like, I thought of all these arguments, right. but I was like, none of these, 
yeah. are justifiable. None of these. Yeah. <laughs> none of these are yeah, like like, it's, yeah. It's hard to argue, like, I deserve to play this game more than your children. Yeah. <laughs> so eventually I just collected my shame and I got up and I just walked out. And I did not walk over to the movie theater to see a movie. I just walked out of the theater <laughs> entirely because that was my whole reason for going things. that day. Yeah. The yeah. Only, the only new arcade movie arcade game I've played is the Terminator Salvation game. That game rules, too. It's a, oh, I hate that game. That movie's a fucking quarter sucker. It is, like, I, yeah. Like, like you should, I get, it, I get the Terminators, but they don't die. So I'm just yeah. like firing at these things. They're dying, and then you die in like 30 seconds. Like, all right, enter more quarters to play some more. Like, no. Like that, like that felt that was like a slot machine level of just money suckage. That's why I like Time Crisis because Time Crisis yeah. gives you like that dodge pedal. So oh, every time you get killed, pedal. you're like, well, that was my fault. I could have, yeah. I could have done better. Let me put another quarter in, and I'll do better. Oh, Time Crisis 2 is so good. Yeah. I, I, I haven't seen that in movie theater in a, in a long time. Either. I, I really miss when movie theaters, like, I understand why they don't anymore because of PlayStation and Xbox, but I miss a good movie theater arcade. That was part yeah. of the experience. Yeah. Yeah, I miss malls in general. I miss the <laughs> 90s, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, um, do you have any final, any anything else that we missed or anything else you want to cover? I think we covered it all, man. I think we covered it all and then some. All right. We, uh, we, you know, we didn't talk about one other thing that uh, I'm actually surprised with how much you hate Sarah Harding. When <laughs> um, she's getting up from when the trailer is hanging over the edge of the cliff and she's on the glass uh, mm-hmm. and she's trying to get up and crawl away and the glass is like splintering underneath her. Um, I it always makes me scream in my head because I'm like, you, you should know not to mm-hmm. put all your weight on your hands, on the palms of your hands specifically. Yeah. Uh, in this situation, um, yeah. Again, I can forgive her though. It's a high stress situation. Exactly. I'll, like, I'll, I'll cut some slack there, like in your head, watching, like, "Oh, you idiot!" But like, no. If you're like on, if you've fallen like twenty feet and smashed your head, and you're about to plummet to your death through shards of broken glass, which sounds like a true nightmare, mm-hmm. um, I would understand why you why you think I'm just gonna get out of this. Like, I I, I forgive her for that one. That, yeah. That's, that's that's the least stupid thing she does in this movie. All right, fair in, enough. In fair a long enough. list of very stupid things she does in this movie. <laughs> All right, so I think that's a good place to end up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you for listening to Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Uh, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on all of the podcast apps. And if you have any thoughts about Sarah Harding or any of the other, other characters in the Lost World Jurassic Park, don't forget to write in your love or hate mail to robosvdinos at gmail.com or you can hit us up on social media. Uh, Thank you for listening. Say goodbye, Jim. Bye, Jim. (laughs) Say goodbye, audience. All right, we're going to hold until they say goodbye. Every single one of you. Every every single one of you. Yes, I know we have listeners in India. We've got listeners in uh, the Philippines. Um, So yeah, we're going to Jim, Jim and I are just gonna hold here until you say something. I so guess call in. You, so I'd appreciate it. Yes, but uh, like, that'd be nice. All right. All right. Well, that, actually, that was all of them. I just, yeah, I just got. Uh, I, I don't know if you heard them shouting, uh, but I have my window open and I just, yeah, heard. Tired of you. The last fan shouting. So, <laughs> all right. Thank you for, thank you for that. We'll see you next time. 
okay, it's a perfectly watchable movie. It, no more questions. I don't know, man. There is never one copy. No, thank you. I've, I've, I believe I've spent enough time in the company of death. Now you're John Hammond. You bred raptors. <laughs> but why would dinosaurs do this? God creates dinosaurs. God destroys dinosaurs. God creates man. Man destroys God. Man creates dinosaurs. Dinosaurs eat man. Woman inherits the earth. The biggest, baddest dinosaurs. This is a distraction. Where are the dinosaurs? We love you, Julianne Moore. Clever girl.